must be an act of faith in your heart. You know, many people find it difficult to believe in reality about the passion and death of Jesus. And some also find it difficult to explain how he benefits them. Does he really benefit me? But the reason why he did what he did was for you to benefit your life. There's a reason why he died. And the reason is that you become beneficiaries of the realities of his passion, death, and resurrection. That is the crux of the Christian life. He paid a price that you may not need to pay any price again. That is why the Temple Retreat is unveiling the riches of our redemption. We must unveil it because the devil wants to cover it up. The devil wants to obscure it. It's one thing for us to go to church and come back. It's another thing for us to unveil the riches that God has bequeathed to the church. And we try to identify some of them. Yesterday, we read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And then we were able to identify two mysteries of our redemption. Number one, that he took flesh, that through his death, he would destroy the one that has the power of the death, the power of death, and that is the devil. work of Christ. Jesus, truly, your death destroyed the one that has the power of death, which is the devil. Believe that first. Make it a reality in your soul. And live by that consciousness. No matter how it comes in front of you, and grows like a lion, and shouts. That shout is to make you Lose grips of what has happened to him. I cover. Oh, I love the words of Jesus. When he says, Now the ruler of this world is about to be judged. So his death was a judgment on the ruler of this world. Each time you look at the crucifix, that's the judgment of God on Satan and everything that goes with him. Amen. 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 See, Satan has been judged. Satan has been judged. Satan has, you know, met his water low. Satan has met his water. Satan has lost it. Satan has lost it. It is an act of faith. It is crystallized in our faith. It is the reality. Jesus established it. And when Satan was vanquished, the power of death was vanquished. Now, Christ said, when you know this truth, 
in this truth will make you free. From what? From the, from the harassment, from the ruining of death. From the harassment of death. And then we're able to also look at the second dividend of the death of Christ. And he also freed us from the spirit of fear. From the spirit of fear. I'm just taking my time to go through this so that we not just know it on the intellectual level and it's not crystallized in our soul. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15. And deliver. Say deliver. Deliver. Say deliver. Say it loud again. Deliver. And deliver again who through fear of death, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What does this mean? The devil puts in the hearts of men the fear of death. He has the power of death. So he puts the fear of death. And on account of the fear of death, he can put them into different type of bondage. There are so many bondages in the world today. Mental bondage, emotional bondage, bodily bondage, family bondage, all forms of bondage. Sometimes we call it yoke. Or heaven laden. He said, Come to me, all of you who level and of a burden, and I will give you rest. So, when he took away the power of fear, he took away the power of bondage. He took away the power of bondage. So, when fear comes to overwhelm you in any area, yes, he is permitted to come. But he is not permitted to have the legal power over you. Because Jesus has delivered you from the spirit of fear. What he's saying is that Jesus has set you free from the operative spirit of the spirit of fear. When he comes to put you to bondage, Christ is saying, I have given you capacity, let it not overwhelm you. You have what it takes to resist the bondage of fear. No one that when he rose from the dead, he said, do not be afraid. As we are all seated, we have different type of things that scares us in life. Some is cockroach. Some is just mere thick darkness. Some is the fear of witches. Some is sickness. I know someone who told me, Father, I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be broke in my life. I don't want to be broke at all, Father. I can't, I can't just perceive not having some good money in my pocket. It has created fear in this person's heart. And when you have a fear for something, definitely that fear will bring what you fear in your heart. Job said, what have, what have fears all these years has befallen me? Fear has power. As a matter of fact, when the devil wants to Make me a speech on anybody. The first thing he says is fear. If you can destroy the element of fear, don't be afraid of anything, even in the worst case scenario. Because Jesus, by his death, 
has set you free from the spirit Amen. 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 Paul now says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Let's look at it. 2 Timothy. We are unveiling the, the mysteries of our redemption. We are trying to articulate them. So we can have them at the grip of our fingers. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. You see. So when he freed us from the spirit of fear, he gave us another spirit. Don't forget that when Adam sinned, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says that the first spirit that attacked Adam when he sinned was that he was afraid. Fear entered him. You see. So Paul is now saying, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of sound mind. In other words, when Adam fell, he lost the spirit of power, he lost the spirit of love, he lost the spirit of sound mind. But in Christ, this was restored to us. This was re- restored to us. So God has legally taken away from your heart the spirit of fear. That does not mean that fear will not come. Fear will still come to take this you know, seat in your heart. Fear will still say no, even though you have the spirit of power inside of you, you have the spirit of love inside of you, and sound mind, and say I have my own space. And so he will lay seat on your heart. He will come creating some uncertainty in your mind, intimidate you, and make you to be frightful. But when it comes that way, and sometimes when it comes that way, he tries to decide for you the next step you should take. You know many people have failed to be the best they should be in their life because they were afraid. Hmm. If I venture to listen, hmm, wow, can I finish it? And so because of that, they return. Or producing comfort to take a bold step into something that they know is very positive. Even things that will concern their personal life, out of fear, they refuse. They are waiting for everything to be perfect before they take the next step. They are afraid to take risks. Many have men, you know, completely limited and defeated in life because they refuse to deal with the voice of fear in their hearts. Now God is saying, I did not give you the spirit of fear. So when the spirit of fear comes, resist it, reject it. I refuse to be afraid. You have to learn to speak it out. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be intimidated. God said, I have given you the spirit of power. So the death of Jesus broke the chains of the spirit of fear and bequeathed to my heart the spirit of power. The more I give attention to that spirit, the more I see the power of God at work within me. They have given the spirit of love. I must, you know, uh, allow my attention to be captured by that spirit. Because what you invest your energy into is what will run your life. If you allow uh, the fear, the spirit of fear to dominate your heart, your energy will go into it. You see yourself overwhelmed with fear all the time. If you unleash your heart to the energy of love all the time, you have to walk towards it. 
Then before you know the structure of yourself, you begin to flow in love. It shows in your words, it shows in your actions, it shows the things you do. Because you have consistently allowed it to dominate your heart. Whatever spirit you allow to have the ascendance in your life will run your life for you. But the beauty about it is that you have a choice to make. You determine which spirit rules your life. That's the key of freedom God has given to you. No spirit has any legality to come and force itself into you. You can walk out of any spirit. Even the spirit of God. The Bible says that a prophet has authority over the spirit of prophecy. It is the one you yield yourself to that takes over your life. Paul says in Romans, I think Romans chapter 8, you have not received the spirit of timidity. Because the spirit of timidity also goes with the spirit of fear. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Okay, says, let's start from verse 14. It says, for if you live, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage. You see, the spirit of fear, as we read in Hebrews chapter 2, is the spirit of fear that leads to what? Bondage. Are we together here? Yes, Father. You have not received the spirit of fear. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see, again to fear. But you have received the spirit of what? Adoption. So one of the uh, uh, blessings of, the, of our redemption is that we have been adopted. When Jesus dealt with death and fear, he was given the spirit of adoption. God now has adopted you. Because by virtue of the life of sin, you legitimately belong to Satan. That's why you have the satanic nature. You are not a sinner because you commit sin. You are a sinner by nature. That's why a child born today carries original sin. Are we together here? Yes. So when Jesus died, God adopted us. We have lost our old parents. We have a new parent now. And so he now took away the spirit of fear because the spirit of fear is the spirit of, of the devil that was in us. And now he has put his own spirit into us. And it's called the spirit of adoption. And Paul is saying, you have not received the spirit again to what? You receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we do what? Cry Abba Father. So our spirit now is prompting us to cry a new type of cry. Abba Father. Abba Father actually is like a cry of a newborn child. As the child is crying, he's crying not just because kids are hard, he's crying because he's in the arms of love. And as he's crying that way, the mother is also communicating with the child. And so our own type of cry is a cry of prayer. Abba Father. That's why when Jesus was teaching how to pray, he says, Pray, Abba Father, who art in heaven. You begin to learn to understand the ways of God. Say, I've been adopted. 
In the name of Jesus Christ. So I don't have the spirit of timidity. I don't have the spirit of fear. I have the spirit of adoption. I have the spirit of adoption. I cry out. I cry out. Abba Father. Abba Father. So as we interact with God with the spirit of adoption, the spirit of power comes alive. What is the spirit of power for? The first you know, uh, 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 mystery of the spirit of power is that it gives you the ability to be able to resist the incursion of sin. You begin to learn the ability, even in the midst of every you know, sinful situation, you see that you have the energy to be able to say no to sin. And you insist on it. You know, there are people who cannot resist sin. They can't. They can't resist telling lies. It comes out of them. They can't resist, you know, keeping malice. They can't resist, you know, getting angry and being very malicious. They can't resist it. They just see themselves doing all kinds of things. Sometimes when you ask them, they tell you, I don't know what came over me. Truly, something came over them. And that that, that came over them is what controls them. So each time the thing comes, they just you know, fall, you know, fall headlong to it, and the thing now rules them. And it finds expression through the actions they put up with. So one of the riches of the redemption of Christ is that we have been freed from the spirit of fear and have been given the spirit of adoption. And when we are adopted, God welcomed us with three anointings. The anointing of power, the anointing of love, the anointing of sound mind. And so as we work strong in prayer, these three things will start coming out of you. You have power to resist the devil. Be it in the area of sin and the area of his attack upon your life. You begin to grow in love. Passion for God will grow. Passion for the flow of man beings will be there. You will begin to have the compassion. You have compassion for human beings. You need to see them with the eyes of God. They're the third one. You need to be, you know, you need to have intelligence in the spirit. You become sensitive. You need to pray the sound mind that comes from God. Many years ago, I used to be a very dull person. Very forgetful. I shared some of my uh, childhood uh, experience with you. But over the years, as we began to walk with the Lord, He began to walk on our mind. He began to fill our minds with truths that finally set our minds on fire. And so our mind became very, very sensitive. We can pick signals of different type of things. And one of the things that sound mind will establish your heart when it comes in a heavy way is that it makes you become highly disciplined. You'll be in charge of your life. Self-control comes in. Nothing can just push you away. No. You are too in charge of your life to be confused. You respond to life. You don't react to life. The devil bash into you and expect you to react. No, when he bash into you, he just laugh and say, No, I will respond when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 The sound mind, you know, impacts upon you. Sound mind will open your mind to begin to know the truth of God as against the lies of Satan. 
when the devil comes and starts, you know, you know, speaking things in your mind, telling about, ah, look at life, eh? Look at how things are going. Say, shut up. You can shut him up. And refuse to allow those things he's bringing, his whispers, to take root in your heart. And these are the ingredients of life. These things, as your mind feeds on them, they have the capacity to impact your life physically in the things you do. That's what the Bible says. As a man thinks, so he shall what? Become. You have not received the spirit <coughs> of bondage. You have received the spirit of adoption that cries Abba Father. Verse 16 says, the spirit itself bears witness in our spirit that we are the children of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so, it is as we articulate this point, that we can begin to open our hearts to the influence of the cross over our soul. Saint uh, Francis Assisi was the type of person that he wrote out these things, about 21 of them, and every day he made this his source of meditation. Every day, every day, he takes one and meditates on it. Maybe this week, we'll take number one. Oh, thank you, Father, that you gave us Jesus. And Jesus, through his death, has destroyed a part of death and has freed us from the living spirit of bondage and fear. And then he began to pray with you, pray with you, pray with you, pray with you. He did this for many years with that 20, 21, you know, different conditions of scriptures. And one day he had a revelation of himself where he saw that his soul has received the imprint of a cross inside it. Not just his soul, even his heart, his, his heart that's pumping blood has received a mark of the cross on it. And he told his people that when I die, if they open my grave, they will see my heart with the mark of the cross on it. And it's that what you see today. You can see, he didn't say anything physical, but because he allowed his mind to feed on this, and he walked with it, he believed in it, it impacted his life. So rich. Let's go down again a little bit and see what God is telling us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. We have to look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 22. Okay. I start from verse 13. It says, Better between in baptism, wherein also you were risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who had raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Amen. Amen. Number four. Hmm? We are prepared. He declared that. Number three is what? He freed us from the spirit of fear. And number, third, the, the, number three is what? Huh? He gave us the spirit of adoption. Right? And it's adoption carried the spirit of what? Power. 
Now, Paul is telling us that he quickened us in verse 14 of that Colossians chapter 2. He said, we'll start from verse uh, 12. He says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also were risen with him through faith in the operation of God, who had raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had he quickened together with him. He has quickened us together with him. The word quicken is the word made alive. In other words, we can say that he had made us alive together with him. Amen. Amen. He has made us alive together with him. So as we reflect on how Jesus was made alive in the grave, God is saying to his word that in the mind of God, not in your own mind, in the mind of God, when he quickened Jesus from the grave, you were also quickened in your life. In other words, what he's trying to say is that what happened to Jesus in the grave equally happened in your soul. Say, I have been quickened. I have been quickened. So if that, that same spirit that quickens you, that same spirit is what is quickening you inside. That spirit talks to you. That spirit directs your step. That spirit encourages you. That spirit propels you. Paul says, the love of Christ urges me on. The love of Christ drives me on. continues and says, and you being dead in your sins and the unsecretion of flesh have been quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. God has forgiven me all my trespasses. God has forgiven me all my trespasses. Yes, I have seen in the past. I have done things that are abominable. My sins are countless. But one of the dividends of my redemption is that God has forgiven me all my trespasses. It's a revelation you must catch in your soul. God has forgiven all my trespasses. He doesn't count them anymore. Even though I was dead in my sin, even though sin was still deadening me every day, the Bible says, while we are still sinners, we are still committing sin, God freed us from sin. Amen. Amen. Say, God has forgiven me. God has forgiven all me. All my trespasses. All my trespasses. Say it again with all your heart. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. All my trespasses. All my trespasses. Say it again. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. All my trespasses. All my trespasses. You know some people when they go to confession, they say, mm, Father, that day I went to confession. I didn't confess this sin well. They feel that the way they confess their sins will determine how God will forgive them. But the Bible says that 
They say God forgave me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Are we together here? The day He forgave you is not that day you confess your sin. Which day did He forgive you? That day. Not even the day you repented. <laughs> he forgave you the day that Jesus died. Are you shocked about that? God forgave your sins the day that Jesus died. As far as he's concerned, he has forgiven you. Hear it now. Let it sink into your soul. He has forgiven you all your sins. And now he's waiting for a day. You will rise up and say, Father, you mean have forgiven me? Just like that. And you'll hear his voice, you'll say, Yes, just like that. Does it make sense to you? Yeah. If it makes sense to you, then say no more. But if it doesn't make sense to you, you will still continue. He forgave us 2,000 years ago. And that's why when you go to confession, God, the priest will not say, ah, God, this type of sin, uh, should we forgive? Mm-hmm. We don't ask God questions. Because it is presumed that mercy has been given. Anyone who repents and is ready to change his way, there's a bank of mercy waiting for you. As you repent and truly accept the forgiveness of God and make a decision that never again, if God, on account of all this, has forgiven me, and that is just all, and He's not calling me to come and suffer punishment, then why should I keep offending Him? I think He deserves my heart. He deserves my love. Then the Lord says, God says, No more. I told you a story before. I say I, I I repeat this story every year. It's one of my first book I wrote, the the, the the divine romance in redemption. But it's out of copy now. By the grace of God, before the end of this year, I will repeat them again. A special Bible talks about what I call the manumission paper. Manumission paper. Say, let me hear you. Manumission paper. Manumission paper is the paper that is given that you know is given to you when you buy a slave. If you go to the slave market, the way we, they, they arrange goods, that's how madness are arranged in the slave market. And so when you come, as a buyer, you look around, based on the one that appeals to you, you go and buy, be it male or female. And they are all tied to the stakes, and the owners of the slaves are there selling them. You can imagine that. And so when you now buy a slave, there's an office where you go, and the letter is a uh, little transfer is made for you. You become the new owner of that slate. That paper that is given to you is called the manumission uh, paper. It's like a receipt. So on this day, this man came into the slave market, and they just pointed at a woman, one elegant woman who was a, she was a slave, and pointed and said, "How much is she?" And the man did a very high price. And everybody in the market shut down. They say, who is this type of slave they are selling at such a high price? What is the quality of this slave? And they looked, 
Yes, she was an elegant woman, but that price was high. And the man who gave the buy did not even price. It's okay. I bring the money. Even the slave who was surprised. Who is this man coming to buy me in such an expensive manner? And everybody was just watching. She paid and then took the slave. Why was dragging her to the office where they would get the manipulation paper? Normally slave they can be a little bit vicious. She started spitting at the face of the man. You know, because she feels that they are using her as a you know a, 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 a transaction, you know, for business. So she was probably expressing her own uh, dislike for what was going on. And the man did not do anything. Those, some will slap the slave or kick the slave because she has bought her already. But the man did not do anything. He just took his handkerchief and cleaned up the spiritual and all that. And he dragged her to the office of manuscript paper. And after the document was, was made, the man took the document and said, okay, can we go? The, girl, the woman was still dragging her feet and causing trouble. The man continued. And then they went on the, on the, on the street. Continue for a while, and to a lonely place, the man who, was, who bought the slave turned towards her and said, How are you? Normally, no master talks to the slave. Can imagine you bought a goat in the market, all of a sudden you just came to the road and said, Good, how are you? The people are watching around, they'll say, This person, are you okay? So she was tired talking to the, to the slave as if you know, they have known each other before. And the slave was so surprised. How can you be talking to me that way? The man turned around into his bag and pulled out the document and said, Take it. Say what? Say take. The implication is that if she carries the manipulation paper, it means she's now the owner of herself. Amen. 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 The man said, Take. You see, you mean. I have the document? He said, yes. The man said, I bought you to set you free. I bought you so that no, you know, no matter what again, you will find yourself in the slave market. I have bought your freedom for you. Now go and be happy with yourself. As the woman took the manuscript paper in her hands, she looked at it, looked at the man, and everything the man was saying was real. I was not joking. As, as the thing was done in her heart, she could not keep the love this man had displayed. Tears stared running from her eyes. She said, You mean you bought me to set me free? That I should go now? No man, no woman again will say I'm a slave? <coughs> Gradually, started making sense to her. She fell on the ground on her knees and started screaming and crying. What was she saying? I'm not going. I will leave to serve you forever. That was her, her new prayer. I'm not going. I will leave to serve you forever. Emma said, Go. He said, No. I'm going to come to your house. I will serve you forever. Amen. Amen. This story was given many years ago to describe what Jesus did for us. He bought us and adopted us from the slave market. We were slaves in the spirit, owned by the devil, 
The devil had his legal ownership over us. That's why until you receive Christ, until you are baptized, you still belong to the devil. In reality, he owns you. And Jesus, when he bought us, he collected the manuscript paper. The manuscript paper is his body, which is the element of sacrifice. He bought us with his precious blood. And after buying us, what did he do? He gave us that flesh and blood. And said, I bought you to set you free. Now you have your manumission paper in your hands. That's the document that proves that you have been freed from the harassment of death, the devil, of death and of darkness. So each time we receive the Holy Communion, we are renewing our commitment to the reality of the freedom that Jesus has bequeathed to us. So the Holy Communion reminds us and continues to you know, stand for our manumission paper. Amen. Amen. So he freed us that we may serve him. Verse 15 says, verse 15 says, blotting out the handwritings of ordinances that was against us. There were things that were against us, that works against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, to his cross. These are spiritual, uh, you know, sentences that are in past. They have no root in God. That works against you and me. Jesus has taken the man away. There's nothing that can be written against me again that can stand against me. The only thing that runs my life now is what God has revealed Himself in the world. Amen. Amen. Verse 14, says, Verse 14, says. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So, when he cleared those debts, those handwriting, those records, by his death, he vanquished the devil. So the devil has no record against you any longer. He can't accuse you again. So if he goes away, if he goes as an accuser to accuse you of things that will stand against you, when he takes his document, you will notice. Once it's you, he may have them before the case will come. He will have all kinds of things around and he will use and accuse before God. I say, God, can't you see your daughter? She has done this, she has done this. You are a God of justice. And I know as a God of justice, there's no partiality in your judgment. Pass the sentence and see that your daughter will not make it. And God, who is the God of justice? He will say yes. But what happens? On account of what Jesus has achieved for us, when the devil carries the book and comes to accuse you, as he's written out, all of a sudden, they will all dematerialize. You will have been able to see any record again. Because Jesus has blotted him out of the way and nailed it in his own cross. That means every accusation the devil has against you has been put upon Christ. And he bears all of them. Amen. These are little, little truths of the gospel that we must articulate. Have you noticed sometimes you present the case before God and I say, Hi, I don't know why God is not answering me. You don't know. The devil will stand against you. 
The devil accuse you. The devil say, God, don't give all that blessing. Don't give him that blessing because he doesn't deserve it. And as, they are, as he's accusing you before God, he's accusing you in your soul. Have you noticed sometimes while you are praying, Oh, Father, I thank you for your love. All of a sudden, he said, look at you. Have you forgotten what you said? A prayer of a sinner, an abomination unto God. He said, Oh, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy. And you will sing it with all your emotions and even cry. I said, Lord, I receive your mercy. Have mercy on me. Then he continues again. Then he reminds you that many years ago, you did, you did not do just things. He said, Are you sure God has forgiven this sin? He said, Jesus, I know now. God, why are you reminding me of all my sins? You don't know. The devil is accusing before God, and whatever he accuses you before God will be sound in your soul. Are we together here? Yes, sir. And that has paralyzed the prayer of many. He keeps talking of every mistake you have made. He keeps telling you, God is not answering you. You see, your prayer is not being answered now. You've been praying about this for 10 years and God is not responding. Do you know why? That money you ate, that money that is not your own, you went and took it. God is saying, because of that, He will not bless you. I say, God, what am I to do now? Hi. Even the person I took it from, I don't know where the person is now again. You will be troubled in your heart. On account of that, your faith in the prayer will be paralyzed. Because it's accused you before God. And so what do you do? He said, precious Jesus, thank you because when you died, you forgave all my sins. And you canceled the records of my misdeeds. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus intercedes for me. We have, we have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. The blood of Jesus please more insistently than the blood of Abel. You must remind God of this. And once you speak this word, immediately the voice of the blood will say, She's acquitted. She's acquitted. And as you have been acquitted up there in heaven, you also feel it in your heart. Peace will enter your heart. That's why they will tell you, pray through until peace. Peace comes. That's good. I'm praying about anything. Keep praying about it until peace. Your soul. Once you have received this in your heart, the evidence that your case has also been passed through in heaven. Shout to Amen. Jesus, you know, cancelled every record. Every record. Every record. Verse 14 again, please. Every record. Everything that stands against us. The devil will keep writing his things against you, blotting out the handwritings of ordinances that was against us. God cannot write ordinances that will be against us. God cannot write it. Which was contrary to us. So everything that was written there is contrary to you. It's contrary to your life. It's contrary to your joy. It's contrary to your salvation. It's contrary to your existence in this world. It's contrary to all the good things that should happen to you. They have written them down in the realm of the Spirit. And the devil will use them against you to fight you. You will use it to accuse you. And he took it out of the way. Amen. Amen. So all the things you've done in the past, no matter the, the sins you have committed, no matter what you would, whether you involve yourself in, if you truly repent and come back to God, 
Jesus took them away, took them out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And the cross has judged that issue. This may not make much sense to you, but as you grow in the spirit, the devil will show. Me, many times he comes. Ah, you see me. They look at you. You think what you are doing will make sense? Can't you see that God doesn't work with people who are not consistent? You made a mistake the other day. You made a mistake today. Can't you? Can you stand before God's presence? His justice will mess you up. And when I hear it, I know. He's not accusing me. And those others who say, ah, it's true. I have to be very careful. But when he brings that, I want to tell him, yes, it's true. God understands my situation. And that's why he has done this, he has done this. I need to tell him what God has done for me. That's why you remind the devil of the mysteries that God put in place to justify your life. And so when you are praying, and he reminds you of anything you have committed, tell him, get away you Satan, the blood of Jesus justifies me. The voice of the blood of Jesus speaks for me before the Father. And God will always listen to the voice of the blood Far against the voice of uh, the devil accusing us. Shout it again. Amen. So that's why the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making what? Intercession for us. Speaking, Father, bless them. Father, give them salvation. Father, protect them. Father, favor them. Yes, they are still committing sin. But by my death, their sins are cleansed away. Just to know that as you are on earth here, someone is up there interceding for you. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And then finally, he says what? In verse 15, he says, I'm having four principalities and powers. He made a show of them. Openly triumphing over them in it. Romans chapter 5. The fifth point. Romans chapter 5. From verse 1 it says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Say I have peace with God. I have peace with God. That's why Jesus said, my peace. We are peace with God. We are peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace therein we stand. So I have access to grace. I have access to grace. Don't beg God for grace. He just asks you, come and receive grace. Whatever thing you feel in your life that is not working out well, oh, you are in the Bible, you don't understand, so God give me grace. You are having an issue and it becomes so difficult. Just close your eyes and say, Father, give me grace to handle this issue right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. Mm. And with the expectation of heart, just know, life will come. A thought will come to your mind and will ask you to take this step. That thought is full of the power of God. As you execute it, you'll be shocked how things will turn around. Personally, myself, it has really blessed me many years now. There are even to the point where I may lose something in my room. Something very precious. I'll be looking for it. I will turn myself. All of a sudden, I say, Why am I worrying myself? I don't even ask for the grace to locate this. Thing. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, where is this document? Show it to me. Thank you, Father. 
and I just can sit down. All of a sudden, my mind will just do like, eh, as you are rewinding tape. I'll just see the flash where I was some time ago and where I see the document. I say, oh, let me check my wardrobe. I'll just open it, I'll see. But I've spent already two hours looking for it everywhere. Sometimes it's my key. Amen. Amen. So you see, the Holy Spirit will always bring you to those dimensions. Very, very important. Very, very important. So Jesus has done so much for us. He has done so much for us. He has done so much for us. So he has given us his peace, okay, in whom we have access in, by faith into the grace therein. It's grace for health. Ask God, God, fill my body with the grace of health. Ask for it. It's there. We come boldly and receive it. Hi, I had a revelation on the other day about the Eucharist. God told me, Son, are you aware of what happens at the end of Mass? I said, What? He said, After Mass, what happens? I said, I come as what happens that after we receive the word of God, we receive communion and we ask you to go in peace of Christ. So and so and so what? I was a little bit worried in my heart. I said, why is God asking me this kind of question? The dialogue continued for almost uh, between after the end of Mass to around 11 in the, uh, in, uh, 11 in the morning. The officer, he said, don't you know that every request you make during that mass or before that mass, that the answer comes to the communion in the seat. Did you get my point? Yes, that the answer came to you through the communion you received. Mm. Let me say it again. Mm. Are you listening? Yes. Yes. He said, every request that we read here, oh, we are praying for this, we are praying for this, he said, when they are coming for communion, Jesus has answered that prayer right inside the communion. Mm. That's my head. I couldn't contain what I just received. It was like a fire in my soul. I said, What? He said, That's all. And he left. From that moment, I don't receive communion again as if I just received it. But I now scan my mind. Every prayer request I've made, the answer comes. The Holy Communion. In other words, as your soul tests that communion, it means whatever you have asked God has been given to you. So from that moment, don't ask God again. The key to what? Thank Him. Keep thanking Him. Do it. Keep thanking Him. One more. Keep thanking Him. Oh, I thank you. You have blessed me with this. Oh, I bless. Thank you for it. You have blessed me with this. Continue to just thank Him. Just keep thanking Him. You look around. You're not seeing the thing. Don't mind. Your soul has tested it. And if your soul has tested it, surely it will show up in your life. It became a mighty revelation for me, which I'm working with right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. from verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of, uh, of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, verse 13 says, 
how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit, offer himself without spots to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Are you okay? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offer himself without spots to God, purge your conscience from dead works? What is dead works? Eh? Bad memories. Maybe bad things have happened in the past that are locked up in your soul and your mind and still controls you today. We have all kinds of experiences in your primary school, secondary school, university life. Many places have all kinds of experiences, especially the negative ones. Do you know on account of some experience people have had in the past, it has changed their character. It has affected the way they think. Some children who are raised in a violent environment, they grow up, become very violent. Some children who didn't experience the love of their parents, they become so hostile. Everything is with anger. Not for any of because of accumulated aggression, accumulated negative energies. And because they are all resolved, they have the ability to shape the best life in the future. The devil is so wicked. He programs you from the force he brings to your life. Some, because of the kind of environment they grew up, where they last so long, when you tell them God loves you, they say, which love? I didn't see love with my mates, is it with God? So their love for God is completely zero. And this affects their character, it affects their life, the way they live with people around, and at the end of it all, you will be known for this type of character, and people will say, look at this one, this one is going to be don't mind him. Instead of it bringing blessing to you, it's bringing a curse. The Bible says that because of what? That how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, forge what? Your conscience from dead works. So that what you can serve the living God. Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? In the blood? In the soul? Yeah, it's in blood of the land. Are your garments spotless and